was little, I had a thing for buttons, buttons, levers, and controls. I always wanted to push the buttons to see what they did. In fact, Dad used to say that if there was a button that would blow up the world, I'd press it just to see what would happen. One day, we were about to launch our family's motorboat into Possum Kingdom Lake. I was little, and Mom and Dad told me to stay in the front seat of our 1970 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser while they were preparing to launch the boat into the water. You know, you know the difference between a boat and a ship, by the way? A boat you put into water and take out of water. A ship, you take the water away from it, or you flood the dock that it's in to put it back into the water. In the case of a ship, you know, that's really big. You can't lift it out easily. But our boat was small. It was on a trailer that was attached to the back of our Vista Cruiser, and we would go to the various lakes and back down the ramp into the water, just the trailer into the water, and it would float the boat. And uh, Dad would have Mother get into the boat so she could be ready to drive it, and then he would jump out once it was down there and the trailer was in the water and the boat was starting to float, and he would jump out of the car and he'd go around and he would detach the boat chain from the trailer and then mom would drive the boat around to the dock or to the pier and dad would get back into the car and drive it up the hill to park it so that we could all go and get in the boat. While mom and dad were out there floating the boat and getting it disconnected from the trailer, I am sitting in the front seat of the Vista Cruiser looking at the gear shift. Dad had just said, don't touch it. So guess what? Yes, I heard oops. I heard oops. Dad had said, don't touch it. So what was I doing? I was thinking about touching it. And I did. I shifted it from park into neutral. We are in an incline. So while the engine was idling, we started to roll backwards into the lake. And Dad jumps in as quickly as he can, slams on the brakes before the trail, tail end of the Vista Cruiser, the, the station wagon, goes into the water. It was that close, though. And I learned, uh, the backside learned at least, how not to touch that control when Dad especially said, don't touch it. I remember when Dad was teaching me how to drive, first time I sat there in front of that very same Vista Cruiser, and Dad said, okay, put it into gear, and I said, may I? And he said, yes, you should. It's time to do that. That was my first sin, touching that parking lever on that car. I had been told not to touch it, and yet I still touched it. What was the first sin? Well, Greg, that's easy. It was Adam and Eve eating that apple, right? Right? Yeah. Thank you. Well, we have here an apple. Mmm. Who here likes apples? Ooh, yes, yes, yes. I heard of me back there. I love apples. I love apples and oranges and pears and peaches. Oh, I love fruit. Fruit's my favorite. And this apple looks absolutely delicious. It's tempting to you. It's juicy. And if you have a, a dry mouth and if you haven't eaten much yet, I mean, oh boy, and I haven't. Oh boy, this looks nice and yummy. It's tempting. However, 
The Bible does not say that it was an apple. Oh, I know all of the media seems to indicate that. Uh, I've even seen stained glass windows in churches where it's obviously an apple. But it was not an apple. It was a fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, whatever that might be. Boy, this is tempting. I think I'll put it over here, otherwise I'm going to take a bite out of it. And that could become messy. Anyway, it was not an apple. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil fruit. And they were told not to eat it. Now, they were told to not eat it. They could eat of any of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. But the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they could not eat. From the day that they eat of it, they would die. Hmm. Maybe it was the fact that they disobeyed. That's the first sin, right? Not so much eating, but the disobedience. Ignoring God's direction. Well, that's pretty good. I think we'll take a look at a couple of others first before we circle back around to that one. Sex. It was sex that was the first sin. After all, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Augustine, the bishop of um, a town in North Africa called Hippo Regis, in the very late 300s and into the first quarter of the 400s AD, he was hung up about sex, and he saw sex as the culprit in all sin, and especially in the first sin. I think this tells us more about Augustine than it does about this first sin. Um, <clears throat> But uh, it is true that sex does play a big part. The desire for sex and getting it plays a big part in lots of sin, especially in the sense that it results in um, the abuse of people, harm and subjugation of people for the pleasure of others. But sex wasn't the first sin. Maybe it was talking to that serpent, talking to that snake, I don't like snakes. They're slithery beasties, and I just don't like to be around them. They've got that little flickery tongue, and they feel, ugh. I know they're not slimy. They're kind of dry and scaly, but no, I don't like snakes. If a snake shows up, there's usually a great hole in the wall, me trying to get away. Maybe it was talking to the snake that was the first sin. I mean, after all, Dr. Doolittle talks to the animals, but you shouldn't talk to a snake, right? Hmm. Greg, it was the eating of that fruit of the tree that was in the middle of the garden, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the first sin, right? Well, that's for the majority opinion. And that's what it looks like when you read the passage. That was what God told them not to do. Just as there was a directive that I received when I was a kid, do not touch that gear control there in the front seat while they were putting that, car in, uh, that boat into the water, lest I put the car into the water. Don't touch it. So also they were told not to do that. Not to even touch it. Right? Right? Wrong. Don't you hate that? Really? The serpent asked, can you eat of all of the trees, or is there some that you're not allowed to eat of? And the woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. 
But, she says, God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. And at first glance, this looks right. That's what God told them, right? Only that's not what God said. The passage is clear. God said, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Did you see that? She added, nor shall you touch it. Don't even touch it. She added to God's word. God's word says, don't eat of the tree. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And she adds to it, nor shall you touch it. Before she even touched it, before she ate of it, before she gave it to her husband and he ate of it, before any of that, she is quoting God's word back to the serpent, and she adds to it. She makes it harder. She makes it more difficult. And you cannot understand why she did it. After all, touching it may add a bit of desire to want to eat it, as touching this apple is adding a bit of desire for me to want to take a great big bite out of it right here, right now. So don't even touch it, and you'll be safer that way. God's direction was clear. Don't eat of it. He said nothing about not touching it. She added, through interpretation and probably very good intentions, she added to God's directive, to God's word. Wow. It was as simple as that. It wasn't good enough that she shouldn't eat of it. It's as if she thinks that God doesn't think that they can withstand the temptation of touching it. Don't eat of it, God said. Nor, she adds, shall we touch it. But she puts it into God's lips. If she had said, God said we're not allowed to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that's in the middle of the garden, for the day that we eat of it we shall die, and therefore because we're not supposed to eat of it, I'm not even going to touch it, that would be okay. But she said, God said, nor shall you touch it. She added to God's word. Oh. So it wasn't so much eating. Yes, it was eating of the tree. But it was the desire, the feeling, the necessity of adding to, adjusting, correcting, extending the remarks of God in the Bible. It was adding to the direction that was the problem. Her sin began not when she talked to the serpent. Her sin began not when she looked at the tree. Her sin began not when she responded to the serpent's question. Her sin had already been underway when she took from the tree and she ate of it and she gave it to her husband and he ate of it. The sin was already underway. The sin began 
Her lack of trust in God began. Her lack of faith in God began when she added to God's Word, when she spun God's Word to make it say something harder than it actually already said. Nor shall you touch it. Hmm. In the wilderness, for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was fasting. And he was famished, it says. And Satan comes to Jesus, the devil comes to Jesus there in the wilderness, sees that Jesus is starving, and says, look around you, you see those rocks? Just change some of them into loaves of bread and you can eat and be full. Because it was within Jesus' ability to do that. He could have transformed those rocks into bread and ate them and not been hungry anymore. And Jesus defeats Satan's first temptation in the wilderness by saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The temptation, of course, is to do that, to transform those rocks. So Jesus is very clear. We trust and rest on God's Word. So the second temptation comes along and Satan says, okay, if you're going to trust God's Word, then here's God's Word. Go up to the pinnacle in the temple and throw yourself off. And before you crash on the ground, the angels of God will come, swoop down and catch you because the Scripture says in the Psalms, He will give His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. So prove that you trust God's word and throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Yes, Satan can quote scripture. But like so many of us, he quotes it wrongly. He spins it, he twists it, he changes it, meaning it doesn't say anything in Psalm 91 about throwing yourself off, throwing yourself into harm's way. It just simply says that they will bear you up in your hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. The second temptation is to twist God's word to make it say what you want it to say. We do that and we do it a lot. We take the scriptures and we try to make it say what we want it to say. That's exactly what the woman is doing here. Nor shall we touch it. Good advice, but not God's word. As we move into this season of Lent, it's a time to prepare. Prepare ourselves to see our part, our culpability in the death of Jesus. To understand and comprehend, to realize and accept the truth that we are the reason for this season. That Jesus came into this life and taught us and healed us and transformed us and then goes to the cross for us. And we participate in his crucifixion and his death. We're the reason he came. Why? Because we lack the ability, we lack the ability to obey, to listen to God's word. And indeed, we always want to add to what God had to say and apply it to others or even ourselves. We are tempted. Throughout our lives, we are tempted 
to try to find loopholes in God's Word, paths around God's Word, ways of understanding it that mean that it doesn't impact us, ways of interpreting it so that we can apply it against others. The temptation is great to monkey around with what God had to say. The challenge is to trust God. The challenge is to trust God, to depend upon God, and trust God that God knows better than we what is good for us and the life that God has for us to live. This Lent, let us be open to what God says to and for us. Yes, let's not touch it. More importantly, let's listen and obey God's will for us. God's commandments for us, which Jesus summarized beautifully as loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and may God's people say, Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let us pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy upon you. Forgive all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come and you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. 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 And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Because there is one loaf, we, though we are many, are one body, for we all partake the one loaf, the bread which we break. It is indeed a means of sharing in the, out, in the body of Christ. And the cup over which we give thanks, it is indeed a means of sharing in the outpoured blood. Let me dwell in your